Communion Sunday. It's always a highlight for me because of what communion means, not just the remembrance of Christ and what he's done for us, but that we were invited to remember that together as his family. Uh, Communion, union, one with another. And we're in this together. And thank you, Pastor Dan and the elders for leading us in that as we remember. But as we often talk about international church, there are hellos. And if this is your first time with us, hi, very glad you're with us. Hope you'll come again. But there are also goodbyes as people return to either their home country, new country, whatever. And so Alex and Angela, if you wouldn't mind, we're gonna, we've got a couple, uh, a dearly loved couple. She was in the youth group back when I first got here. And we have been thrilled to watch them grow and learn together. So we're going to pray for Alex and Angela as they prepare to head back to Canada on Friday. They're hesitantly not wanting to come up, but I told them they didn't say no. So that was the same as yes. So uh, I'm going to have the under shepherds come up and we're going to pray for this couple as they follow the path they feel God's leading for them and make sure you give them your love uh, as they head off. So come on over. We'll let these guys pray. Or let these guys come join you. If you, weren't, if you don't know them, this is Alex Viscasil and Angela. You might have known her when she was younger as Angela Lee. Uh, but we have just been blessed to have them with us. So we're going to pray for them. Lord, I thank you so much for Alex and Angela. I thank you for being able to be a part of their uh, newly married life for a little while here at AIC. And as they head out, we just ask your protection and provision upon them. Uh, They're going into a bit of an unknown circumstance where they need you to provide. So we trust you in that. We also ask that they would find a a great church home, uh, that they would grow in knowledge and depth of insight and be welcomed into a family there uh, as we will miss them here. And so, Lord, we commit everything from their journey to their finding a new home and, and new jobs and all of these things into your hands and asking that you would bless them and use them abundantly for your glory and for your namesake. Amen. We love you guys. Take care. I'll give you a hug afterward. (laughs) So, well, I want to start with a very, very serious debate as we get ready this morning. Is it white and gold or is it blue and black? Or if you were a man, are we secretly being trapped into another question of, does this dress make me look fat? And any way you look at it, we don't know. But I bring that up at the start of our message today. If you're wondering what on earth am I talking about, uh, you haven't seen much digital media lately. There's this dress that apparently, depending on how you look at it, either looks white and gold with stripes or blue, navy blue, dark blue, and black. And it's all very confusing to me. I've read the science of it. I still don't understand. But have you noticed in just a little while how this idea has swept the world? Everyone is talking about it. Presidents are tweeting about it. It is everywhere. People are talking about the color of a dress. And it's a massive massive thing. It reminds me of the movie that came out a few years ago called Inception, which the, the planting of an idea in our mind is something that is not easily removed. But here's the thing. There are so many ideas being thrown at us that in walking with Jesus, we have to figure out how to discern what to focus on, whom 
to focus on. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what color the stupid dress is. In two weeks, we'll be on to the next internet sensation. Will we not? Yes, we will. Today's text that we find ourselves in, in Philippians chapter 1, helps us look at this idea of our perspective. What are we focusing on as we walk through life? So if you'd open up your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and if all goes right, we will finish chapter 1 today. It only took us two months. One person's excited, thank you. So let me read this and follow along as I read it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There's a lot going on in those few short verses, isn't there? And it's exciting for us to think about what does it look like to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because on my own, that sounds really difficult. The good news of Jesus Christ, which we just celebrated here as we uh, had communion together. Jesus' blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins. His body broken that we might be healed. That we might have life with Christ through his work forever. And that's an exciting, wonderful thing. But the holiness that is required of it is is perfect and pure and righteous. And on my own, I am none of those things. But because of what Jesus has done, my position is secure. I am righteous through the blood of Christ because it's his righteousness that's been poured out on me and on you who have believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior that we might have life and have it to the full. And so today we're going to look at this idea of being worthy of the gospel of Christ. What was Paul getting at when he talked about this with the church in Philippi? He's writing this letter to a a Roman colony called Philippi. And what is he saying? But I want us to remember of what we discussed last week, just in case we forgot. Remember, we talked about the idea for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And if you wanted that expounded a little bit, you can go to Galatians 2.20 and, and read that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am alive in Christ. I'm his. It's him at work in me. It's his life that is being poured out for me so that when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's reminding us there is nothing greater than living for and knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and Savior. But in the church, we shake our heads at that right up until we walk through day-to-day life. And then if we look at the priorities of our life, myself included, it can be very easy to start to think that these things are more important than Jesus. Sometimes it's the simple act of sleep. That 
I don't need to spend time alone with the Lord this morning or tonight because I'm so tired. Or it can be work that we elevate above him. And we talked about all of that last week. And there's these things pushing at us. But what happens is we, even in the church, revert to this idea of moralism, where we try so hard to do the right thing that we've got all these checklists and all we end up doing is feeling like a failure all the time. I've been there. I struggle with that even now that I just want everything to be perfect. I want my life to be completely controlled, doing this thing, this thing, this thing. And if my schedule goes, I'm a mess. But the life that Paul is inviting us into, the life that is hid in Christ is a life of freedom where when Paul says for me to live as Christ and die as gain, it's done with great joy, with great freedom, with great openness saying there is nothing better. I wouldn't want anything else. I wouldn't want to add to Jesus because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is all I need. It's why Christians love to use the word that only gets used in Christian talk anymore, and that's sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is everything I need to have meaning and depth in life, to know where I'm going, to have my very breath. He is my all in all that we sing about. And we shake our heads at that and we're like, woohoo! And then we go out and we get distracted. And it's easy for us to lose sight just a little bit and go to the right or the left. So how do we protect ourselves against that? How do we think through life in such a way that we put up some guards against thinking that we can be our own savior, thinking that the checklist is what saves us and not the grace of God? Well, I think Paul gives us a great, illustri- a great example of that right away when he says right at the beginning, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, when we're talking about that, remember gospel is a fancy way of saying the good news. Now, if you know anything about news over the course of history, you know that news is something to be told or communicated, correct? When I walk into the office every morning, there is, depending on what time, there is something waiting for me at the doorstep. The newspaper, the South China Morning Post. Some of it's actually even news. Some of it's not. But every day there is the newspaper and it tells me stories of what's going on around the world. Or I get online and this is the digital age and I read foreign policy or I read, I know I'm a New Yorker, but I read the New York Times and other examples to find out what's going on in the world. So if we take that context, that understanding of news, and we say the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and my life hid in him, then wouldn't we want to tell that news? Wouldn't it just be the worst thing to be a newscaster, a carrier of the good news, and not carry it around, not tell anybody about it? It's basic logic. We must love telling his story. It must consume us that we can't help but tell of what great joy it is to be a heavenly citizen. If you flip over to Philippians chapter 3, Paul uses that exact language. He says, I am, we are to be citizens of heaven. 
And it's a great and high and mighty blessing for those that have believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it's a wonderful thing. And we want that. And we want others to know that we want our lives to be worthy of telling the story of Jesus. The commandments in the Old Testament start with the very idea of carrying the name of God with us wherever we go. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, remember, the Hebrew people were carriers of his good news to the world. And therefore, when they carried his name, they were not to take it in vain. We in the new covenant, in the gospel, in the good news, therefore, get this wonderful privilege to carry his name with us wherever we go. And we should love to tell the story of how he's at work. Pastor Dan posted on Facebook this week of how great it was to pray out loud or to have someone pray out loud that was a fairly new believer and what an exciting thing that is. And we praise God for that. And we want to tell those stories. We want to tell stories of when we're excited that people have believed in Jesus, of when we have seen God at work in just the most awful and difficult circumstances, or when we've seen him provide in the most wonderful ways. See, he doesn't just live in the trenches. He lives in the good times and the bad times. But my question for us as a church, do we love telling his story? Or do we sometimes get caught up thinking our citizenship is here in earth? But that idea of citizenship was something bigger that maybe we don't, especially in an international setting, we, we don't quite understand as well. Because Philippi, Philippi was a, a city-state. It was called a polis. In other words, it was a large unit of gathering of people of a Roman colony, okay? And there was great pride in being a Roman citizen. They took it very seriously. And when they were part of that, they were honored to be called Romans. In fact, they defended that at one point in around Acts chapter 16. They, they didn't refer to them, themselves as Philippians. They referred to themselves as Romans, It was a big deal. It was part of their identity, who they were. They would defend it and they would stick up for it. It was a major deal. And I wondered, what's that like for us today? Because by and large, globalization has made us less civically minded. I don't hear too many people walking around saying, I'm proud to be of this country or that, and a whole group follows them. Except for one weekend a year in Hong Kong. You recognize this? This weekend, every year, brings out civic pride in everybody. 50,000 people cram into that stadium on Sunday, all wearing whatever colors of whatever country they have decided to support for that weekend. For instance, I will, for one game, wear a French jersey because someone gave it to me, not because I like France. I will wear my American rugby jersey for one game because they're America, and that's where I'm from. I will then put on a Hong Kong kit because I live in Hong Kong and all those places, and I'm proud to be of whatever. But then we go back to work on Monday or Tuesday and it's just back to life as normal. But do we think about the excitement that people take with dressing up like whatever country they're represented there or whatever other event that they're so passionately committed to following their nation's sports team. The Cricket World Cup is happening right now and while I don't understand cricket at all, people are really excited about it especially when one nation beats another nation and they're both represented in our church. Think New Zealand over Australia yesterday. Did I say that out loud? Oops. But we get all of this excitement from sports. 
right? But when it comes time to talk about Jesus, how many of us get so excited that we can walk around with banners waving saying, I am a citizen of heaven and there is nothing greater and I will do the most ludicrous, crazy thing. I will dance undignified in the streets for my king because he is God and he is way better than the Hong Kong rugby team. I know, that's a scary thought, but it is so true. Do we elevate God above our worship of whatever sporting or loyal event we find ourselves supporting today? He is that great. For me to live as Christ and die as gain isn't a noose around our neck. It's a freedom to worship the one person, the one deity, the one thing in this world that is worth all of our attention. That's it. It's him. In Christ, we live and breathe and have our very being. And we should love telling the story of him. We should get as excited about him as we get about the sevens or about any number of other things. Well, how then, if we get excited, because it's not just an emotion that helps us carry the gospel, how then do we do it? How do we walk as we are invited to walk here, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as heavenly citizens of above. Well, you got to start by standing together. Why do I love communion? I just told you, because we do it together. The church is invited to remind ourselves constantly that in the body and family of Jesus Christ, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, no one walks alone. What's that mean? Well, again, for if you're a football fan, Liverpool, the football club, says that's their team motto. Yet in the church, what happens is when people struggle, and we've heard cries like this in our own church, there's not many people there to walk with them in those times. But yet we in the church are supposed to be these agents of grace that remind one another, hey, I got you. I'm with you in this as we walk together, knowing that our God who is keeping us, who's keeping watch over us, he never sleeps. He's watching over us all the time. And we are in the shadow of his wings. We are being covered up by him. You are not alone. I am not alone. So let's carry the very good news of Jesus with us together. The call to be the church was never a single individual call. The call to following Christ was done corporately. Believing on him is an individual thing. Discipleship is done together. And we grow together. No one walks alone. Why do I love Pastor Dan's class? Well, it's not his class, but why do I love the class on multiply? Because the very idea of multiplication is biblical. It's the simple concept of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations and inviting others to do the same. Again, we think about uh, cultural trends today and for years and years and years, there've been all sorts of pickup lines to try to get a date for a man or a woman, right? But how often are we, and, and please don't use pickup lines to tell people about Jesus. That is not my point. But we put all this attention in the best way we can get a date or get someone to talk to us or be attracted to us. But do we ever pause for a minute and think about what do they think of Christ in me? 
I'm really worried about whether my tie is off to the side or this or that or have I done this or that or is there nose hair coming out of me or whatever. But do I honestly think about the idea of carrying him together? And do I try to grab people to come with me so that no one is walking alone? Do I look around for chances to practice hospitality and do so with a joyful attitude? Because that's what the church is invited to do. When we are functioning well, it's why we read Romans 12 at the beginning. Some are invited and called to be a teacher. Let them teach. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Let them entertain to the best of your abilities. Some have words of affirmation or encouragement for one another. Let them encourage. Some of you have administrative skills. Please help me. Some of you have other gifts and abilities. Use them not for yourself, not to pad our bank accounts, but to build the kingdom of God using our resources that are his all along for his glory. Again, it's not a a noose around us. It's a freedom and a joy to say, Lord, you gave me all this. Here, use it. When I grew up, uh, I had a friend that I looked up to. He was, I think, five years older than me. And when I, he was in high school as a, a gr- year 12, so his last year of what we call secondary school here, he had just a monumentally amazing season in the sport he played. And that sport was baseball. I know that's different for a lot of you. But he was so good at that that he was recruited to play for a very, very good university team. And then from there, he was chosen in the Major League Baseball draft. So he was chosen as the third pick overall, which meant in all 600 and some people that were going to be chosen in that draft, he was the third best. And he went on to have a decent Major League career. But his mom, whom we still know and are family friends, used to look at him all the time and she would say his name and we'll call him Joe. That wasn't his real name. And she would say, Joe, God gave it to you and he can just as easily take it away. Remember, your abilities are all his. God gave us the abilities to do all sorts of things. Do we offer them back to him and saying, here you go, Lord, they're yours anyway. Just let me do my best for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit in such a way that I can't help but whether it be throw a baseball, check a checkbook off, crunch numbers, or pray with someone that needs a friend. Let me do it for your glory. Because no one walks alone, and we, the church, walking worthy of the gospel, will stand together using the gifts we've been given to build one another up, to care for each other, and in so doing, further the message of good news. You want to know the greatest thing an unbelieving world can see in life? People loving one another and thinking selflessly. Not thinking about themselves first, but thinking about others before themselves. That is a message the world doesn't even know how to relate to anymore because it is so opposite of what we're used to. Can we do that? No, we can't on our own. I am a hugely selfish person. If you wonder about that, just ask my family. 
But in Christ, I'm being made more like him every day. And myself is dying more every day. And I take great joy in serving little Eliza that came to Jesus this week and my other kids and my family and you, my church family and beyond. And it's a privilege. But I have to learn and I have to be formed in that. And you know who helps me get there? You, my church family. You help shape me as I grow. And hopefully that reciprocates as I help others. And we're in this together. So if we love telling his story as part of heavenly citizenship, standing together, not walking alone, what do we do? Well, you'll see it come next, sorry. You will fight for the truth. That word striving there in Greek is, is much stronger. It actually has this competitive and this fighting edge to it in that we will go after the truth, the good news of Jesus, making sure that he is heard. And why does it take that note? Well, think about it for a second. Right now, and I know I'm walking into sermon suicide, but go ahead and think about all the things that are going on in your mind right now, right? Everything, and I'm not going to list them because the minute I list them, you'll start thinking about them. But there is a long list of distractions crying out for our time all the time, right? Everything from jobs and duties to noise around us to people to relationships that are broken, to relationships that are great, people we want to see. All of these things crowd us in. And the world around us just furthers that. Walk through any developed area of Hong Kong and the amount of advertisements you see can be overwhelming. You want to practice that? Go outside and stand right here on Takfong Street for three minutes and tell me every advertisement you see. You couldn't do it because there would be so many just in the vehicles moving by and what you see on the bank and the coffee shop and all the other buildings there. It's overwhelming, the amount of noise, visual, auditory, and tactile that we come into contact with every day. But the church who is invited to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is called to be a light that is brighter than all of the noise and all of the distraction around us that shines forth above it. What does that look like? Well, if you're an employer, it looks like how you treat your employees is a direct reflection of who Jesus is to you. If you are an employee, how you treat your bosses and your coworkers is a direct reflection of who Christ is. And we get to carry that larger than every every billboard in the world because nothing is more effective at communicating good news than people. I can put up signs all over this city and use all of our church budget for one giant advertising campaign. And that will never be as effective as you sitting down with someone that you care for or do not care for and saying, I love you enough to tell you about Jesus. And I will fight for the chance to give you life in Christ. But do we do that? Or are we so caught up in being politically correct today that we'd rather just not say anything? I have a surprise for you. Jesus wasn't the most politically correct person ever to have lived. You know how I know this? 
Read how he addresses the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people that were supposed to know better. Time and again, he had certain names for them that aren't very pleasant, such as brood of vipers, you evil snakes, you two-faced hypocrites. Those were just some of the things he referred to them. He wasn't in it to be politically correct. He was in it so that people could see there is hope, and that hope is in him, our Savior. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I am not asking you to go to your boss tomorrow and say, you evil snake, I hope you die. That would not be appropriate, nor would it be worthy of walking, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must understand that in the world we live in, in these dark times, as we seek to live out in love, people aren't always going to love our message. In fact, some, all they will be reminded of is that apart from Christ is destruction. That's what Paul teaches us here. He reminds us that there will be those that when you love and when you walk worthy as the gospel, they'll be reminded of their destruction and it's going to make them mad because they don't want to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. They don't want or understand what joy there is in following another that is the Son of God, the one who made this world and holds it in his hands. And so they will push back. But we have to fight to strive to let the good news be heard in whatever way the Holy Spirit guides us. But Mike, that is so scary and I am afraid. You know what? I'm a pastor and it's still, when I get the chance to share Jesus with others, my heart gets racing pretty quickly and it can be a scary thing. But you know what I found every single conversation I have with people is that when I surrender it to him and I say, Lord, give me the words to say, 100% of the time he does. And he also lets me know when now is not the right time. You see, when we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go, We're entrusting him to do the work. We're just saying, Lord, use me. And so it's freeing. It's actually the greatest way to do it of all. It's saying, Lord, I will trust you for the discernment, the wisdom to know what I should say and when I should say it. And he promises you who seek wisdom, it will be given to you. Trust that I am giving you the Holy Spirit and he will speak on your behalf, both in your prayers and in your times of persecution. If someone comes after you, accusing you of following Jesus and being crazy, trust that the Holy Spirit will protect you in those times, in all of those times, because we are His and we will fight to let the good news be heard. Sometimes the biggest battle we have is within ourselves, that we have to come reconcile ourselves to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did the invitation to discipleship, the invitation to Jesus is to come and die, to say, my life isn't my own. I am a new creation. The old has gone. Myself, it's gone. I'm in Christ. And so we strive side by side for the faith. We work at it. And as we fight for the truth, we do so not for ourselves. We don't want to be Superman. We don't want to be a celebrity that carries the good news of Jesus. Now, there are those that have become very famous carrying the good news of Jesus into all parts of the world. We think of people like Billy Graham. Praise the Lord for how God has used them. But he chose one man to be Billy Graham. You know who I would rather have? 200 men and women like you that are willing to talk to their neighbor about Jesus Christ. 
and that can walk with them every step of the journey. Now, please don't misunderstand. I, 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 am, I revere Billy Graham and what God has done through him, but that's the key. God has done that through him. My prayer is that we would say to the Lord, here I am. I will, for the sake of Christ, go where you tell me to go because it's in Christ, in him we believe and in him, for him, we suffer. The suffering isn't our own when we're persecuted. And and you say, but Mike, you know, these aren't very difficult times for us overall here in Hong Kong. Well, you're right. By and large, we're in a pretty comfortable city and we're very safe. But all around the world, darkness is closing in and these times are getting more and more tenuous for Christians. We look at what happened in northern Syria over the past few weeks and the number has grown to up over 250 suspected Christians that have been uh, kidnapped. We don't know if they're alive or dead, but we know they've been kidnapped. We know others are doing everything they can to attack the Christian faith and its exclusivity claims of Jesus being the only way, the truth, and the life. Even the president of America has launched an attack against the exclusivity of Christ. What will we, the church, do? Well, we will walk worthy of the gospel message. And how will we do it? Well, it's been granted for you that we will believe in him for his sake. And that others, as they see Christ in us, the hope of glory, they might insult us. But even in how our attitude is conducted when we suffer, even that tells the story of Jesus. You realize that, right? If your boss comes at you and accuses you of something falsely, the first response of us is to defend ourselves, correct? But what if in terms we tried to respond in love? however that was appropriate given the situation? What if that person that you work with or live with that is just so difficult, you said, I give up. I am not going to try anymore. I am going to lay this at the foot of the cross and I am going to say, Jesus, I need your help. I cannot fix this relationship on my own. But you have given me what we call the ministry of reconciliation. You fixed my broken relationship with you. Please help me with this one. That is walking worthy of the gospel. That is saying, God, I will live according to your word by your Holy Spirit, not on my own, because we keep screwing it up when we try it ourselves. Every time. (laughs) But he says, you don't have to. He says, I have given you another, a counselor, a comforter, a teacher, a convictor of sin. But we in the church sometimes are afraid to rely on the Holy Spirit because it feels mystical. Well, he is mystical. He's everywhere. Something that I can't do. But he says, I'm here and I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So we carry the good news of Jesus not for ourselves so that we might become great, but so that his name might be carried well. That when we think of verses like 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and this is the testimony. Remember, we're newscasters. We're telling the story, the good news, wherever we go. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 
When we walk through life living that message out, people will see him in us. When they see us working together, using our abilities selflessly, they'll see that in us and think, wow, that's different. I want that. And that's my prayer for us. So how do we respond? What do we do? Well, if we think about our duties as Christians, when opposition comes, will we stand together? My prayer is that that's a yes. When you're going through a difficult time, will you let people help you? When you're walking this Christian life, will you look for other people to help and not just wish somebody helped you? You see, it's circular. It's both and. We look to help others and we let others invest in us. It's part of discipleship. Are we praying for one another? I will keep coming back to this. At our AGM, we are going to have a season of prayer in that worship service because we must be a church that prays. Do we come together in love, enjoying fellowship? Let me... I don't know what's going on up there. They're enjoying fellowship. Can we do that? Who are you having lunch with today? Now, governing committee, you're off the hook. You're having lunch with me. But everybody else... Why not grab somebody that you don't know or that you do know and say, hey, let's hang out together. Go have dim sum at Spotlight. It's good. If not, come with me next week and I'll show you how to order dim sum the American way. (laughs) But do we enjoy spending time together and invest in fellowship? It's not just hanging out, talking about the Chicago Cubs with Pastor Dan. They're going to lose again. I don't know why he believes. But much more walking with Pastor Dan and Gita and Lucas as they transition to what God has next for them or with Alex and Angela or with others that have come in? Will we fellowship truly in these journeys? And what about this? Are we one in mind and purpose? Are we so committed to discipleship, to making disciples of all nations that there's one in our midst and I'm so blessed, but I didn't ask their permission, so I can't say their name, but they heard about the need that uh, Joyce and Henri Samatu had in Congo, and they have tried desperately to help via emails and whatnot and getting resources together so they could have consistent and reliable communication with the outside world. But as things have gone on, now the question is, do I need to go to the Congo? Would that be effective and a good use of my time and resources? And the answer is, no, I can't. It's Congo. How could I ever do that? But it's, if God wants me to, my family's all for it and we'll make it happen. Would we do that? Would we be willing to go where the Lord invites us even to some difficult places? In a couple weeks, you're going to hear from a guy named Andy that his whole life has been following where the Lord's taken and he's ended up in a place called Nanjing and able to tell stories of God at work there or in Kaiping or in Jongsan or in Manila or Bulacan. We just heard great reports from what God is doing with Julian, uh, Freddie, uh, David, and we are excited. But here's the thing. As we seek to selflessly love Christ and love others, we will grow in maturity and we will be able to bring others along as we carry the good news of Jesus. That's our mission, to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus, loving to tell his story wherever we can as citizens of heaven, of the Most High God, standing together in this arm in arm, 
fighting for truth, that our light would shine, his light would shine above the mess of this world for the sake of Christ in whom we believe and for whom we suffer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that invites us to a life that is a living testimony of you at work all around us. And so God, please give us opportunities to tell your story wherever we find ourselves. Amen.